This, this morning, uh, we are going to kind of move back to the sermon series on the Holy Spirit. And uh, over the next few weeks, uh, we will be talking about, this is my one shot at it, and uh, you will hear from Angela Tebow, Blake Oakley, you hear from Phil Jackson, and we'll, we'll all have uh, shots at uh, talking about the Holy Spirit in a particular way. We're not going to talk very strongly doctrinally, though, you know, teaching will be inside what we say. We'll be talking about how the Spirit of God is at work, uh, right? And, and, and encouraging you to think about how the Spirit of God is at work in your life. And so, uh, part of what we want to do is just sort of remember what we've already covered in terms of the forgotten God or the Holy Spirit, uh, as this sermon series is entitled. And another part of what we want to do is begin to keep ourselves aware of God's work and God's movement and what the Holy Spirit is doing. So, so this morning, I am, I am going to talk about some of the work that God is doing in, in my life. And I'm going to ask you questions of how this relates to you and where you see the work of God in your life. And I'll tell you that I don't think you're going to hear, for those of you who have been here over the last couple of weeks, you're not going to hear uh, things that I haven't already said because in some ways when a preacher preaches, and I, I think this is sometimes, I hope it's most of the time, that preachers are talking not just to an audience, but we're talking to ourselves. And that when we, when we come to a text, when we study and prepare to preach to God's people, we're studying a text that is studying us, and we're preparing to preach not just to you, but to us. And so over the last few weeks, you can probably track where the Spirit of God has been speaking to me, and some of this morning is going to sort of nod back to some of those things. Now, when I think about describing the Holy Spirit, when I think about who the Spirit of God is, I think about the Spirit as a teacher. Now, the Spirit of God is not the kind of teacher that Mr. Vincent, my geometry teacher in high school, was. He's not the kind of teacher that that Australian TA at U of I who taught calculus was. Those, Those two teachers... Uh, were teachers, regardless of what they would say, who were teaching new things. I know that they would say that they were building upon uh, the math that I took before their class, you know, algebra and division and multiplication, and and they were lying to us when they said that. Uh, Mr. Vinson would get up and talk about geometry and planes and Pythagorean, this and that, and see, I didn't even say it right, you know, let's see. Um, uh, because it had absolutely no relevance to addition, multiplication, and subtraction. It didn't. And he told me that it did. Um, and, and, and an S-curve, I don't care. You know, some of y'all supposedly stereotypical math geniuses in this church. Some of y'all will fight me on this, but, but 2 plus 2 doesn't relate to an S-curve, whatever. You know, it just doesn't. And, and I think that, that those teachers, those two, for example, and again, you know, you can disagree with me. Uh, you can be wrong. It's okay. Uh, I, think, I think that those two teachers were teaching new things. Um, they would disagree. But I, I, I would look at geometry as a new skill. And when I think about the Holy Spirit, thankfully, I don't think of Mr. Vincent, although he was a good teacher. You know, he was good for what he did. And the fact that I'm mentioning him remain, uh, means that I remember him and, and in fonder ways than I'm presenting to you now. 
But um, the Holy Spirit is not a teacher who teaches new things. The Holy Spirit is a teacher who teaches very old things. The Spirit of God, and those are interchangeable words, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit, teaches um, what we see Jesus teaching. The Holy Spirit presents us with what Jesus presents us with. The Holy Spirit, in one way or another, says to us, This is what you've heard from Jesus. This is how you've seen Jesus act. This is what you should remember about the life and the ministry and the work of Christ. And and when Jesus talks about the Spirit, this teacher, this counselor, he says in John 15 that when the counselor comes, he testifies about Jesus. John says that the teacher who is also called counselor, the Holy Spirit, is the one who testifies, who witnesses again and again about Jesus. And so this morning, I'm going to walk with you through one or two ways uh, that the Spirit, the counselor, the teacher has been testifying about Jesus. To do that, we're going to go to Paul's letter uh, to the church at Ephesus. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. And I want you uh, to listen for what what Jesus' work looks like as Paul talks to this church. And, And we're going to talk about what the Spirit is doing and how the Spirit is doing these things. And so I'm going to ask you to read this passage of Scripture. Some of you read slow. I want you to speed up. And for those of you who read fast, slow down a little bit. And if you don't have your Bible, look on the screen here uh, and read. Uh, Excuse me, I will drop out, but uh, you keep reading. Come on, let's read. Paul is giving very striking images in this passage that we read. He's talking about um, Jews and Gentiles and the hostility between Jews and Gentiles of his day. Gentiles, remember, are non-Jews. So Jews and non-Jews and the kind of uh, divisions, the kind of walls between them. Jews didn't date Gentiles. They didn't marry Gentiles. They didn't socialize with Gentiles. And even if you think back to the ministry of Jesus, you'll, you'll remember that and how, um, uh, how spicy and how fiery people got because he engaged with folks who he wasn't supposed to as a good Jew. And Paul is bringing this language to the church back up and he's saying in a context where uh, the Gentiles were, were treated as a waste. They were talked about, if Josephus is right, as fuel for hell's fire. Paul is, 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 is talking to uh, a Gentile audience that is related to mostly Jewish Christians at the time and saying that there is a life before the reconciling work of Christ And then there is Christ's work, and then there is life after Christ's work of reconciliation. 
There were walls that were cultural, that were historical, that were racial, that were literal between Jews and Gentiles. And so when Paul mentions this dividing wall of hostility, he's not just talking about figurative language. The Gentiles who were getting his correspondence knew that in the temple in Jerusalem, they could come to the temple and that they would see these three buildings, these multiple entrances, and that they would be able to look up and, and that they would see these beautiful, uh, cath- uh, not quite cathedrals, but temples, and that they were uh, not included. In the temple, uh, and you think about it, you walked in this building, most of you came in the front doors, the temple could look something like this building if you added three or four more steps uh, as you enter the building, get this sort of entrance in your mind here, and, and what the Gentiles would have is five or six steps descending from the entrance of their temple, and they would, uh, the, the Jews would come up to the temple, and the Gentiles would be below the entrance of the temple, sort of at low Boulevard, if you will, and uh, five or six steps down, and every time Gentiles would come near the temple, they would be in that outer court for non-Jews. They would be able to look to their left, look to their right, look around and see these beautiful, magnanimous buildings, these large structures that they couldn't come into. These places of worship that were for people who weren't like them. Every Jew could come and worship, but the Gentiles did not belong. They did not belong in the temple. They did not belong to God. They did not belong to the people of God. So so when Paul uses this language of hostility, when he uses this language of walls, when he talks about being built, when he talks about whole structures being joined together, he's talking in language that Gentiles who are reading him can really understand. And his primary audience is the Gentile audience. And he's saying to people who have been excluded by architecture and by structure and by design that Jesus Christ comes to deal with that separation, that hostility, that division. There are two types of separation and division, mind you. There's the division between God and the people, and then there's the division between the people and the people. So there are Jews and Gentiles, and then there are the Jews and God. Then there are the Gentiles and God. And, and, and the, the gaps between the people and the gaps between people and God are what Paul is going after when he writes this letter. And he's saying that although there are sins and, and breaks and chasms and gaps between the Jews and the Gentiles and between those folks and God, that Jesus Christ has come to remedy those gaps, to repair those breaks and those breaches. He says, in other words, Jesus has done something about division, that Jesus has done something about alienation, that Jesus has done something about exclusion. There is... A theme in this passage, there are themes in the passage, but the main theme is not the division. The main theme in Paul's letter is not the alienation or the separation between the people and God or between the people themselves. His main theme is that Christ is at work in the midst of this division and this separation, and he's he's, he's 
putting forward the outcome of Christ's work. The Bible says that we who are without hope, we who are without life, we who are without God have been brought near, in Paul's language, by the blood of Christ. Now think about what that means, not just for you, but for this first audience. They, they are excluded, right? They, they are set aside. They cannot come in and be brought near to the physical structure, the physical presence of God. And Paul is saying to that first audience that those people who only needed to look around, to look up and see that they couldn't get in, have now been brought near because of Jesus. They were included. And, 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 and this passage is, is a, a part of what's happening in my ear lately because in my life uh, I have been trying to live into what it means to, to, to uh, not just feel alienated but to alienate. And, 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 and I've been trying, uh, by God's help, or maybe God has been trying, uh, to, to get me to a place personally where, where I am, uh, where I am uh, facing my easy ability and sometimes my comfort to divide and to separate and to treat uh, people who don't belong as if they actually are most at home. And, and, and in my life, and I've been talking about the Lord's Prayer here, I've talked about some of those phrases. In my life, it, it, it looks like the death and resurrection, the life and ministry of Jesus equaling uh, forgiveness. And, and, and part, of, part of what I want you to know is when I've talked about forgiveness, as I come to this text where Paul is talking about uh, the enmity between people being repaired, as I talk about kind of uh, the, the dividing wall being, uh, being addressed, knocked down by the work of Christ, I'm coming to this not from a place of accomplishment, but really from a place where I'm saying, I want to put another brick in that wall, and Christ wants to knock that wall down. And the Spirit of God, for me, has been saying in a sentence that the gospel message, that the scriptures, that the prayers, that the admonitions and teachings of Jesus apply to you too, Michael. And some of you hear that and you kind of just roll your eyes. It's kind of a waste of breath, right? Because you, you already know that. But, but I want to tell you something. For those of you, maybe you're a staff worker, maybe you're a missionary, uh, the hardest thing for you at times in your life, in your ministry, your life of ministry, whatever it is, is to see that you minister not just for people, but in your ministry to people, God ministers to you. In your telling people what to do, God tells you what to do. Um, um, God, God um, not only uh, has you leading and serving and working uh, for your people, but God has you leading and serving for your person. And, and I'm in a place, and the Spirit of God is sort of counseling me and teaching me and, you know, 
pulling and struggling and strangling these truths into me. And it's, it's so easy to do and say and do. And it's much harder to do and say and be. And the Spirit of God has been saying um, that these words like reconciliation, this grand language that our church is really familiar with, these words that are, that are, that are spiky and yet so fundamental to Christianity like forgiveness and forgiving people not just who, who you who you are um, uh, 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 enemies with, but forgiving people who are close to you is really hard language to live out. Reconciliation and forgiveness um, are, are these expressions of love in Scripture, and Ephesians 2 is giving us an image of what love looks like, and it looks like sin falling at the feet of Jesus. It looks like uh, racism falling at the feet of Jesus. It looks like separation that is old and that is institutional and that is historical and that is unquestioned, falling because of Christ's work in Jews and Gentiles. And the Spirit of God has been turning this over in me. And my question is, has God been turning it over in you? Have you been hearing God talk to you, maybe not about forgiveness, maybe not about reconciliation, but about something really foundational to faith? Have you been hearing the Spirit of God say to you something that, that is so common and so old and so familiar that you almost miss it? For me, it's been uh, this, this language of, 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 of seeing my sin as the same as the person who sins really, really badly. You hear the judgment and the presumption in that, right? My sin, no adjectives there. And the person who sins really, really bad. And as I've, as I've been praying about what to say this morning, as I've been praying through these, these messages on the gospel um, that we've gone through this summer, I've been asking God and fighting with God, do I have to change that about my attitude too? Do I have to change that about how I interact with people like him? Do I have to change that? And over and over, the Spirit of God has been saying, absolutely you do. Absolutely you do. And I give you the ability to do it. So my little attitude problem that sometimes people real close get to see, my, my proclivity to lash out, my proclivity to be um, the one who closes down when somebody hurts me or insults me is being checked by the Spirit of God. The hostility that I'm raising between me and my friends and my enemies is being checked by the Spirit of God. And I wonder if God is at work in a similar way in some of you this morning. The Spirit at work, the Spirit uh, of God, this person, this teacher, this counselor who reminds us of Jesus and who he is and what he has done has taken me, who is separated. And when Paul says separated, he's talking about being removed from life with God. 
The Spirit has taken me, who is who who is who is who is um, uh, who was who was was not excluded and disregarded um, uh, in the same way as the Jews and Gentiles, but who often disregards because of sin and brokenness. Me with my sarcastic tongue and temper to match, and said to me that Jesus Christ's work, Michael, applies to you. Do you remember that? I think there are two invitations. I started to go into three, but I'll, I'll say two invitations in this passage this morning. I think the Holy Spirit is inviting us to listen. And, 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 and the, the one sort of way I'll capture what I think the Spirit of God is having us listen to is, is, is in the language of this text that Jesus has been peace for us. That, uh, that Jesus has taken us who have been alienated from God, who have been cast off and separated and been our peace. Now, now what, what is peace? Peace is, is not just an emotional reaction. Peace is not really something you can convince yourself of. It's not just something that you know or you sense. When Paul talks about peace in this text, he's really talking about something that's um, spatial, spatial and spiritual in some way, I guess. Peace is, is nearness to God. So, so think about Jesus being your peace if peace is nearness to God. It is, it is being close to the one who is uh, with Jesus, our Father. Peace is a proximity to the God who is our reconciliation. It is a result of Christ's work. It is our being uh, close to God, closer to God than our feelings often tell us. Jesus being our peace is our being able uh, to, to, to know, even we don't sense, that God is near. And I think that the Spirit of God has to remind us of that, has to remind you of that, has to remind me of that, has to remind our church of that. And some of you are sitting here this morning and you feel uh, very left out. You feel very disregarded by God. Some of you are here and you feel like this text is far off, alienated, uh, separated from God. And I want to say to you, when you feel those things, can you hear the Spirit of God saying to you, even when you don't sense it, that Jesus has been your peace? your nearness to God. That the Jesus who has been working to pull down walls between Jews and Gentiles in the first and second century is at work in your life to pull down the words and the walls that separate you from God because God is close to you. I wonder if when your week uh, gets (coughs) cluttered and when life is in front of you, and when you're facing whatever you face, you can hear the Spirit of God saying, it's not true that you're alienated. It's not true that you're far off. It is true that Jesus has brought you close. It is true that Jesus has brought you near. 
It's not true that you're alone. You are a part of a community. You're part of a body. You're part of a fellowship, a family. You're part of a whole structure that's joined together in the work that God has done. You're not alone when you're sinning. You're not alone when you're absent from uh, thinking of God, when you're unaware of God. In fact, you're, you're close because Jesus has been your peace. I wonder, if, I wonder if you can turn off your phone, log out of Facebook, close down your laptop sometime this week and hear the Spirit of God saying to you something like this. I wonder if you in the midst of your life can find moments in your life to stop so you can hear God and so that you can listen to God. I was talking to Byron the other week about listening prayer and, um, and this, is, this is one of the ways that God has been just, I mean, God is really sort of changing me, this idea of listening prayer, this idea of uh, solitude. And I've, I've mentioned this before at New Community. Um, you know, and there's, there's not a whole lot of, well, there is a lot of mystery to silence and solitude, but it's not hard to do. It's stopping and being quiet. It's stopping and stopping. And, 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 I, and I wonder if this is true for you. You pray, you ask God for things, you ask God for things, you ask God for things, and you never wait for God to say things to you. You say things to God, you speak to God, you run down your list, and you never wait for God to run down his list for you. And, and, and one of the ways that we keep doing what I think the Spirit is inviting us to do, and that is listen, is by pulling back and saying, yeah, my life is too busy to do this, but at the same time, my life is too busy for me not to do this. God, are you, are you saying something to me about me, about my sin, about my uh, inclination about my faults? Are you saying something to me about my future? Are you saying something to me that I'm not listening to? I don't think we can listen to God if we don't listen. And some of you, some of you um, need to change things up in your daily life and in your routine so you can listen. Some of you uh, need to look at your planner uh, and make some decisions so that you can listen to what the Spirit is saying to you. Some of us need to do harder work to make sure we're in a place where we're hearing what the voice of God is saying to us for that day. Some of us don't need to do as much work, but I think all of us have work to do. All of us have um, structure to parameters, boundaries to, to set around ourselves to hear the voice of God. The second thing I think that the Spirit is inviting us to is to keep learning, to learn. Say the word learn. One of the ways that I'm learning about God and about me is through spiritual direction. How many of you, raise your hand, are familiar with spiritual direction? 
Raise your hand. Okay. Most of you aren't. Um, and when I talk to you about learning, I'm, I'm talking to you out of this text because in this text, Paul is saying to us what it means to be in the body, what it means to be a part of a life that is new. And one of the ways that I'm learning about being in a new community, in a new humanity, because I'm really, really good at being the old me. I'm really good at being the old me. Um, and one of the ways I'm learning about newness of life is by uh, being in direction, being in spiritual direction. I wanted to give you a couple of definitions from folks that I read, love, and trust, and how they talk about spiritual direction. And then I'm going to give you a basic uh, definition of direction after looking at uh, some of these. Uh, so the first one comes from Gerald May. Gerald May is uh, a phenomenal writer. He's dead, psychiatrist, counselor, teacher. And um, this is what he says about direction. The essence of spiritual guidance or direction can be seen wherever one person helps another to see and respond to spiritual truth. Spiritual guidance can apply to any situation in which people receive help, assistance, attention, or facilitation in the process of their spiritual formation. So that this guidance or this direction is happening wherever people are receiving help in their spiritual formation. Second definition comes from uh, Marjorie uh, Thompson, uh, and um, this is from her book Soul Feast. She says spiritual direction, classically understood, is essentially the relationship of a teacher and learner in the area of practicing the spiritual life. A spiritual guide needs, uh, need only be one who has traveled some distance along the path of the Christian life. A guide should be, more, should be knowledgeable about the markers that lead forward on this path, as well as familiar with the pitfalls, detours, trials, and temptations along its course. I want you to be asking this question of, who's doing this for me? How am I paying attention to the markers on my path? How am I being aware of the pitfalls, the detours, the trials? The last quote comes from uh, Eugene Peterson, uh, a pastor and teacher. He says that spiritual direction takes place when two people agree to give their full attention to what God is doing in one or both of their lives and seek to respond in faith. Spiritual direction means taking seriously with a disciplined attention and imagination what others take casually. Now, let me boil down these three and, and give you a, a one-sentence definition of spiritual direction. It's the process of attending to God and you for your spiritual life. It's the way you pay attention to God and to you for your spiritual life, for your spiritual formation. And I, and I want to ask you to think this morning of how you're doing that because, because we never pay attention to what God is doing in us on our own. We can't. The life of a disciple of Jesus is a life that is communal. It is inherently 
social. You are not called to be a lone convert, to be a lone disciple. There are centuries of relatives, brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, who are part of the family of God, right? And so you cannot live this life on your own. You're, you're following God, listening to God, learning, to, learning from the Spirit of God, and you're doing it with other people. And, and, and so small group leaders are spiritual directions, spiritual directors for some of us. Pastors are spiritual directors. Friends are directors for us. They provide us guidance. And so my question is, are there people in your life who are doing, who's doing this for you? Do you have people who's able to look you in the eye and say, you're completely focused on yourself. You're missing God. Do you have people who in one way or another are able to reorient you and to say to you, you're not paying attention to what's important here. And if you don't, that's actually the test for whether you have community in your life. It's not whether six or seven people know your story. It's not whether or not you go to small group every week. It's if people in that small group, in that ministry, are able to hold you accountable to what God has been saying. Able to listen to you. Able to listen with you to what God is saying. Is that making sense? For some of y'all? For me, for me, this looks like going <clears throat> every month to a spiritual director and, and hearing things and talking about things that I do and don't want to talk about. Uh, for me, it's, it's sitting and eating Mediterranean or Indian food with one of, my, one of my closest colleagues and telling him what I've been praying about or when I can't pray at all. For me, it's talking to my coworkers and telling them um, how difficult life is right now for me. Or how easy life is right now for me. What, what does it look like for you? For me, it's coming up on a Sunday and talking to you all about, um, you, know, you know, some of my own sort of ramblings and and that being my way of saying to you, this is where I'm at. I don't forgive people as quickly as I should. The Spirit of God teaches us, speaks to us, ultimately about what Jesus has been saying. But Jesus' words are spoken through the lips of our brothers and sisters. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm you know, I, I have good and bad days at this. I mean, this week has been a bad one for me. And I'll tell you, church, um, and I'm, I'm having a hard time keeping my ear open for God. For example, in my relationship with my sister, I told some of you about this. Um, you know, my family had a really, really bad event very recently. And for all kind of 
observable, practical eyes. It just, it looked like most of it was, you know, my sister. And the first reaction for me was um, to kind of jump on the, yeah, this is obvious. Who's at fault here? And I'm going with that reaction like 75% of the time. And I'm hearing the Spirit of God say, what's obvious to you is not obvious to me. And, and I'm sitting here and I'm sitting here and I'm, and I'm, you know, telling my sister she's judgmental while I'm trying my best not to judge her. I'm sitting here and I'm saying to my sister that she's just wrong. And, and because I know she is, like I know things and I know she's wrong. And that's not a joke. But, but at the same time, I know that the Spirit of God is saying to me how wrong people get treated is they don't get disregarded. They don't get judged. They get brought in. And Michael, you're not the one who brings them in. I am. So you just deal with the presence of somebody you just don't like right now. And I'm flunking this class. I know some of that doesn't make sense. And I'm sitting here trying to edit kind of what do I say. To, and I know it's, I'm, um, This is what the Spirit of God is saying in me, this, this language of coming back to this cross of Jesus that is for people who mess up, for people who insult, for people who make mistakes, for people who do wrong, and not just for those of us who think we know the answers and have it right. Ultimately, the answers we think we have, we don't anyway. And I think it takes effort to learn that. I think it takes the work of the Spirit of God to come back to, come back to that old class, to that old set of notes where we hear Jesus saying, I am your peace and I have brought down division. I have brought down hostility. I have removed walls. Even when you try to take the pieces, the bricks, and the mortar and rebuild walls. Even when you are most accustomed to building walls, what I do and what I call you to do as my follower is to remove walls of hostility. And so unfortunately, you know, this message, you know, last week's message had a bit more sort of conclusion for me. This particular message is one of those where I'm saying, I know what God is doing. I don't know what it'll look like when God's done. I don't know. I mean, I know because I know. I like just reconciliation. It's love. It's, it's that. It's that image of what God ultimately does. But personally, I, I mean, I don't know what the collateral damage will be in what God is doing in me right now. I don't know when I'll be able to tell 
the whole story to my congregation so that it's not like this. Well, it was kind of awkward when Michael went into, he was talking about this and he went into this. And when the, only God knows what he was talking about. I don't know when those scenes will come back. And that's what God is doing to me, leaving me with not knowing some things. Knowing but not knowing. Hearing but not necessarily understanding. So Andy, get to your post. We're done. Um, So bow your heads, and what I, and I, the temptation and sort of where you will see the speakers talk about the Spirit of God is certainly for us to go where we need to and say, this is what God is doing in me. This is where the Spirit is at work in me. And the wrong move for you as a listening congregation will be, well, I heard what the speaker said about what God would be doing in them. And for you not to raise this question of, and what is God doing in me? And what is, what is the nagging or the loving, the gentle or the hard reminder that the Spirit has for me? Is there hostility that Christ is bringing peace to in my life? Whether you have it all figured out, whether you're aware of it or not, is that a so bow your heads and, the, and open yourself up to answers to some of those questions that I'm raising with you. Now, pray in a moment. The Lord be with you as you go. May every step you take, you be reminded that God, that Jesus is your peace. May this week when you see walls coming up in your own soul, may you be able to apply the word of God and say, Jesus has dealt with that wall, that Jesus has repaired that breach, that Jesus, even though I can't see the end, is working for peace and reconciliation. May you this week be filled by the Spirit of God. May the Spirit of God come upon you. May the Spirit of God come in you and fill you. Not just today, but every day in fresh that Jesus is your peace. You have answers when you're left with nothing but questions and you sense the nearness of God because He is with you. He is to your left. He is to your right. He is underneath you empowering you for the life transformation that is discipleship. May you be God's child live your life, not just for your purpose, but for God's purpose. May you not go a day without sensing the presence of the Spirit of God in your life. May God's Spirit challenge you where you've closed your ears. May God's Spirit anger you where you've become silent when you should be. May God work on you. May when you come back, be a different Have with God this week.